Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for Breath of the Wild. Light, light, light. Not major at all. Very, very minor spoilers for Tears of the Kingdom. uh, And spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. is Jason Concepcion. Welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. Throughout this particular recording, this episode, which is gracing your ears right now, you may notice the absence of one magnificent human being named Rosie Knight. Unfortunately, she had some internet issues. Her Wi-Fi was not uh, being amenable to us recording a podcast. So uh, she is only able to join us uh, partially throughout the run of this episode uh, and for our interview with the very talented Sean Gunn. In this episode, in the airlock, Cody Ziegler joins us to discuss video games in general, the uh, newly released masterpiece legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and more. Then Zig and I discuss uh, the WGA writer's strike, uh, issues surrounding that, or experiences on the picket line. In the hive mind, Sean Gunn, a.k.a. Craglin, joins us to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and the series in general. Coming up next, the airlock. We're stepping out of the airlock into Hyrule to discuss Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and its incredible sequel, Tears of the Kingdom, along with lots of other uh, video games that we're playing right now. First, before our discussion of the magnificent Legend of Zelda, the Tears of the Kingdom, let's recap Breath of the Wild. Joining me now is our uh, good friend, Cody Zig Ziglar. Cody, how are you? I am fantastic. Always love to dive back into the world of Hyrule for one last ride. Must. Uh, sometimes it's on a horse. Sometimes it's on a mechanized uh, <laughs> ancient <laughs> Zionic, uh suit. But any time to, to dive back in, I'm, I'm happy to be there. Uh, Rosie uh, is currently sealed away in some sort of uh, Wi-Fi <laughs> malfunction. We hope to get her back soon. But uh, if you're not hearing her voice, it's because... We're experiencing technical difficulties. And speaking of technical difficulties, speaking of the complexities of technology, one of the important retcons, additions to the lore of the Legend of Zelda series uh, introduced by the Breath of the Wild uh, video game, 2017's Game of the Year, the best-selling installment in the Legend of Zelda series, was the technology of Hyrule. Uh, We learn... Uh, over the course of Breath of the Wild, that 10,000 years ago, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, Hylian uh, researchers had developed incredibly advanced technologies to defend Hyrule from the evil forces of Ganon, the main antagonist of the Legend of Zelda series. Uh, And these uh, 
technological uh, defenses and various advancements took uh, many forms. Uh, mainly, uh, they came in the form of the Guardians, which is kind uh-huh. of like uh, tentacled uh, mm. robot sentries that fired laser beams. Um, and the Divine Beasts, these like huge, massive kaiju-like uh, machines that uh, would each defend Gan- from Ganon and are each piloted by, uh, uh, by a, a specially chosen pilot who are known together as the champions. And these, uh, these champions were selected mm-hmm. from four of the kingdom's peoples, the Zora, the aquatic Zora, uh, the Gorons, who are like made of rocks and dwell in volcanoes and dwell on the mountainsides, the desert-dwelling uh, Gerudo people, and the Rivali, who are like parrots, <laughs> these wonderful avian, <laughs> avian folks. So uh, guess what? The technology worked. Uh, Ganon emerges <laughs> The Guardians and the Divine Beasts all swing into action with uh, Princess Zelda and Link, and the foe is defeated. Zelda uses her power, which is, uh, you know, contained within her to seal away the darkness, meaning Ganon, and, uh, and the threat is ended. Fast forward 9,900 Years later, a century before the events of Breath of the Wild, and there's these burbling signs that uh, Ganon is going to return, right? Monsters returning, mm-hmm. they're getting stronger and stronger. Uh, but also in that time, Princess Zelda and Hyrule in general has like forgotten all of their uh, past technological advancements. Uh, and so Zelda is like, uh, she is locked in this conflict. She's trying to reawaken the power to banish darkness, but she can't get it to to re- rekindle. So uh, as kind of like a way to deal with this, she like throws herself into this, the research of the Hyrule's ancient technologies, the Guardians, the Divine Beasts, and all that. Uh, and her dad, King Rome, understanding that Ganon's going to return, uh, excavates the Divine Beasts, which I guess had you know, fallen to complete disrepair, and starts like looking around for champions that can then fly the uh, and pilot the Divine Beasts and finds them. Um, meanwhile, Zelda's like, growing increasingly insecure over the fact that she can't get her power to, to, to emerge. Uh, uh, the link that we need in the, this version of the story is just like a simple soldier. He just like, works his way up through the armed forces of Hyrule mm-hmm. and then becomes like the chosen uh, knight of Princess Zelda. But she also feels like weirdly jealous of him because like he's such a great fighter and good at fighting monsters and she can't get her power mm-hmm. to banish the darkness, to seal the darkness away, to, to like rekindle. Um, and her dad is like, hey, maybe you could get your uh, your powers to rekindle if you stop <laughs> like playing with yourself. She's like always playing on her Sheikah slate, which is like... <laughs> Hyrule iPad. Yeah, and her iPad, which is called a Sheikah Slate. And it does all the things that a smartphone could do. Uh, and Zelda's <laughs> very, very taken with it. And she's also taken with, like, studying the Guardians. Um, so uh, Zelda tries, t- you know, v- many times to reawaken her powers. And then finally she's like, okay, I'm going to go to the Spring of Wisdom. And hopefully there I can rekindle my powers. So she goes there with Link. And uh, the champions are watching. Uh, and 
Unfortunately, as she tries and fails to reawaken her powers at the Spring of Wisdom, there's a fucking huge earthquake, and guess what? Ganon's back. Dun, dun, dun. And Ganon— Hate to see it. it, it <laughs> he always it. comes back. And this time he's like <laughs> he. Uh, we're calling him Calamity Ganon in Breath of the Wild because he is mm-hmm. like this tragic, disastrous force of nature, a calamity that befalls mm-hmm. everyone in this kingdom. And Ganon has spent the uh, intervening 9,000-plus years— just doing oppo research. He's like ready for his op. Scheming, scheming, scheming. He's he is ready. He doesn't just come in to get mollywopped by the guardians, the divine beasts, and the <laughs> champions, and and Link and Princess Zelda. No, he hacks the technology using like the, his malign uh, uh, force, which is mm-hmm. um, embodied by this like red cloud of of like terrible looking smoke um and with this he hacks the guardians takes control of them he hacks into the divine beast kills the champions and just starts laying waste to hyrule it's a fucking disaster the champions uh are gone link is now like the only thing standing between uh ganon and and complete victory um, he and Zelda flee the castle, which has been taken over by the rampaging uh, guardians now under the control of Ganon. Um, and, you know, Link is fighting them off. He's he's the last guy standing. It's an incredible display. But finally, there's just like way, way too many of these uh, tentacled guardians. And as they're about to take him down, um, Zelda reaches out and suddenly her power awakens and all the, the guardians in the area just like fall lifeless as this flash of light emanates from her. Um, but unfortunately, Link is fucked up. Link is real fucked up, folks. Uh, <laughs> he is grievously wounded on the edge of death. And so the princess says, hey, um, take Link to the Shrine of Resurrection, where he can heal. Um, take his weapon, the legendary Master Sword, which you don't really find out in this retelling how Link, who is just a normal soldier, comes into possession of the legendary Master Sword. But she says, take the Master Sword and uh, and we'll hide it in the Korok Forest. And I, now having regained my powers to hold Ganon at bay, will fight Ganon and keep him contained in Hyrule Castle while Link heals. And that takes a hundred fucking Yeah, this years. is no Lazarus pit. Uh, <laughs> this is not like, you yeah. go in the Lazarus yeah, pit for yeah, like yeah, two yeah. days and you're chilling. And they're like, this is a hundred no. years yeah. of resurrection. This man should not have been alive. Yeah. It took him a hundred years. Yeah, Hyrulean insurance is not as good as maybe other types of insurance. <laughs> so it took a while to run his tests no. and get his labs done. The bureaucracy but... is is keeping Link in the pit. Yeah. <laughs> so for a century, Princess Zelda is fighting a continuous battle in the bowels mm-hmm. of Hyrule Castle against Ganon. It's mm. an incredible feat of sheer power. And at the end of this hundred years, uh, Link awakens. He hears a voice telling him, Link, we need you. Link, we need you, all this stuff. He finds uh, Princess Zelda's cell phone. It's there for him next to his uh, little uh, back to tank. And 
the player starts the game, and over the course of the game, you travel to the four various regions of Hyrule where the Divine Beasts are, are, are kept, and one by one, you free them from the clutches of Ganon. And as you free them from the clutches of Ganon, you make an alliance with the respective champion that piloted the ghost of the champion that piloted that beast. And those uh, champions, one after another, uh, bestow Link with uh, a special ability. So from Mipha of the Zora, uh, Link acquires Grace, which is this power of resurrection. You die once. And you're able to immediately resurrect full health. You can't do it for another 24 minutes, but it's super, super, super OP. Um, from Darak of the of the Goron, the Rocky Goron, you get protection, which is like this uh, a shield power. From the bird-like Rito people, you get Gale, which is like this tornado <laughs> updraft of wind that mm-hmm. carries Link up into the sky, and then you can like fly around. Uh, and from Urbosa of the Gerudo, Link gets Fury, which is like this lightning power that shocks um, his foes. Um, so one by one, Link uh, cleanses uh, Ganon's influence from the uh, from the Divine Beasts. The Divine Beasts now, piloted by the ghosts of the champions, fire these like massive laser beams at Hyrule Castle. Those knock Ganon for a loop. This allows Zelda to, you know, stop having to, you know, for get a rest for the first <laughs> time in 100 years. She gets to, like, mm-hmm. take a break. And uh, Link then travels to Hyrule Castle, some of the best music mm-hmm. in the entire game, as you travel yeah. through the yeah, depths yes. of Hyrule Castle, right? You go down into the bowels of the castle, and there you face Ganon in his two monstrous forms. So there's the first level and the second level, and each time you're using these arrows of light to fire at Ganon, uh, and then interchanging that with uh, a, a hopefully perfectly timed block of Ganon's laser beam. And if all goes right, you have defeated Ganon. And you are now free to collect Korok seeds or do whatever the hell <laughs> else you want to do. <laughs> Cooking yeah. over, the, over the, width and, the, the yeah. width and breadth of, of, of beautiful Hyrule. That, folks, is the story of Breath of the Wild that leads us to Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, Rosie Zig, your thoughts on Breath of the Wild and playing it for the first time? Um, Breath of the so I came in about a year and a half late mm-hmm. into Breath of the Wild, so the discourse mm-hmm. was already gone. So like I came in pretty fresh, um, but I, I always tell this story of like my experience with Breath of the Wild. So everything Jason told you is the truth, and the thing is that you can you can go straight to fighting um, Ganon like literally as soon as they open the credits or you can go around and like rescue the divine, these divine beasts you can spend as little or as much time as you want on this game so I had spent 20 hours on this game and I, you know, I was like oh I've gotten a couple of divine beasts I've got some powers like I have a pretty good staple of hearts and, and Korok seeds so I feel like I've seen everything <laughs> I haven't seen in the game and then I'm just walking around the plateaus like the very beginning area and I hear this most intense orchestral violin music. And I look up and I see a full ass dragon descending <laughs> from the clouds. And I remember I remember saying out loud to myself, putting my controller down, I was like, they have dragons? <laughs> I remember just like being shocked that this game had dragons. And the thing is, that happened two more times. Like I didn't know that there was more than one dragon in the entire game. So like I spent all this time and you find all these nuances and, and all these things you didn't know was happening in the game. But also they have um, you know, as Jason sort of mentioned, the the a big sort of theme of this game is like nature returning yeah. or taking over because it's been like this sort of apocalyptic um, scenario. Um, and there's some lot of, you know, 
references and, and inspiration from from a bunch of Japanese work, but particularly Miyazaki. Oh, yeah, and big time. One of like my absolute favorite moments and or set pieces of this game is like there's a specific mountain in this game, and every yeah. you know there's like a day and night cycle, and make maybe like once a week in game you'll just see a crazy blue light from this emanating from this mountain, and if you get there before the light goes down, you can come across this like old god old forest spirit being worshipped by like little rabbit dudes and like you can hop on it and take it be- <laughs> becomes your mount and steed and like it's things that you would never know unless you just like walk around yes. the continent of up hyrule and discover the game and like i love that so much about it like it's a game where i have probably put at this point 70 hours in it but i'm still i still have so many large patches of gray on my map in my my overworld that i can only imagine um how much time I'm going to spend on um, Tears of the Kingdom, which is the, um, from what I've seen, the original map plus a whole sky world. And also, you, I guess, Link got a engineering degree in his time off in between games because now he could just build anything that he wants to. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite things like that from Breath of the Wild was um, the monster masks, which you get from this merchant called Kilton, who only appears at certain times at this certain lake. It's stuff like that just reward it just rewards exploration. I remember the first so I first started playing Breath of the Wild right around the time when the um uh is a, a prince Sidon of the uh, of the Zora. The prince Sidon of the mm-hmm. Zora is like fuckable discourse was happening. I don't know if people remember this. This is 2017 now. But there was a period of time on the internet where everybody wanted to fuck this fish prince. <laughs> people remember this <laughs> this this game walked so shape of water Absolutely. could run you know <laughs> and, and anyway that so uh that was when i i came into the game and i have not you know i think elden ring is the only other game that made me feel yeah like i just want to walk around even red dead 2 which is a fantastic like exploration game didn't mm-hmm. have the sense of like mystery and re- and the the rewarding nature of gameplay. There's something mm-hmm. about I think it I think part of it is the fact that Dark Souls games and Breath of the Wild Zelda games in in general, there's not a lot of like the, the tutorials are always very very long, but there's not a lot of yes. like explanation about like what you should be doing or how the puzzles work or how yeah. you can solve the yes. puzzles. Like, and so yeah, there's a lot of trial and error, and there's this amazing like feeling of oh my god, I figured it out that can happen. Yes, um, yes. just by like trying stuff, and there's also this kind of sense of community that that rises up in these games. Because of the fact that you mm. end up Googling and watching YouTube videos by various <laughs> creators about, like, how to find this stuff. Um, and if you haven't played Breath of the Wild, uh, the Switch is nearing, certainly nearing the end of its life. But it is a, a console mm. well worth having. And you could probably find it pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly at a discount right about now. Certainly if you tr- went for a used Switch Lite or something like that. Breath of the Wild is is just... It is a landmark achievement, and it is well, well worth playing. And it is the direct antecedent to Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. A lot of the themes, yes. like this, the themes of like technology and 
the yeah. double-edged nature of technology. You can use it for defense, but mm -hmm. also it can be used against you, are there. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, Zig, I think that the the titular tiers are the tiers of the people of Hyrule as Link, <laughs> now a madman at the at the controls of vast and powerful machinery, wages what can like industrial level warfare on yeah. the monsters of Hyrule. It really is. I am become death. You know that that's the I I've. I, I so um, Jason and I were picketing the other morning, and yeah. we were just swapping TikToks of like people really just. It's like really like you know Link went to engineering school to do good, and then he decided to work for Lockheed Martin. Like there are people <laughs> making bomber jets. There are people making <laughs> tanks with like actual four way suspension. We saw multiple mech suits. Multiple like it's it's crazy how operational mech suits. Like it's it's just wild. Um, like you know this double edged sword of technology, like. There was one video, which I think we may have watched, where he built, like, a a flying jet that had multiple laser missiles yes. and, like, heat-guided heat guided rockets. It was – it's insane being, like, this is, like, 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 Leak is a god now. Like, you could fully, like, decimate the, the these poor hog monsters running around <laughs> – running around the, the ground, like – it's it's been it's been pretty fun to watch, but like as you were sort of mentioning earlier, like I, I always come back to this. Like I think the gameplay loop for Breath of the Wild, and certainly it seems to be Tears of of the Kingdom now, is like you know that meme of like the little monkey that says neuron activated. Yeah, like it's yeah. truly like yeah. that is what this is. Like you can feel and watch in real time um, new brain connections being made. Um, I had a friend over the other day and we were playing and we were, like you said, we were still in the tutorial area because the tutorial level are notoriously long for these games, but you, you were given this ability to like combine things and all you have is like context. Clues. Yeah. So like we had a broken rail, um, we had a mine cart, we yeah. had a giant metal hook and we had like a turbine and we put these all things, all these things together and smashed them. And we just created like a, a ski lift essentially. And it got us to where we needed to go. But like, I'm sure there were like 13 different ways to solve that problem. But because we were there and we, we were like sort of working together, we realized that we could just like make this thing. And like, this is like the first hour in the game. Like I can only fathom when it gets to the point where like you get, like you said, suspension and you get like laser. <laughs> I saw people, I saw someone build a uh, three-stage rocket. Yes. <laughs> like, like a fully yes. operational three-stage rocket <laughs> where you trigger the stages by by shooting the arrows, by shooting arrows at them. And th this person flew like thousands of feet up to the top of Hyrule. Yeah. I mean, truly the first thing I did when I got to the actual touch ground on Hyrule is like they just dump you next to a box of like building materials and I just fully built a car. Like that's, I, I built a little truck, I got a roof on it. I stuck two turbines and I just like was cruising around Hyrule. It was great. And I, I went to art school. I don't know shit about engineering. Like it was great. I uh, currently, I'm able to build like only the most simple machines right now, turbine powered, but I've yeah. only got the one battery. Mm -hmm. So uh, my, my, my machinery lasts maybe 15 seconds, like on full blast. Yeah. Um, but I've got the glider also, which is par uh, a machine that uh, Link can unlock. And I can't tell you how many gliders I have lost off the side of a fucking mountain <laughs> by trying to launch a glider. Uh, yeah. So you can attach. Let me try and explain how the mechanics work. You can attach various things to other things. So Link has access to machinery right now um, uh, at this early stage of the game. And I don't know where you are, Zig. 
um, but I'm in the f- I'm heading towards uh, Rito City, uh, Rito Village, mm-hmm. and I have a, a f- like a flame shooter machine. <laughs> yes. I have yes. the glider. I have a little cooking yes. pot that you can uh, that can cook whatever I need to in, and I have the turbines. Uh, and then everywhere around the world are building materials that you can build like carts or, you know, like boats, and mm. <laughs> little things with. Um, and, Death machines. Yeah. And also any <laughs> weapon that you come across, uh, you can f- use uh, one of your new powers called Fuse um, to combine the weapon with like the horn of uh bacoblin right that you could then use yeah. like, to make it stronger or like the 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 teeth of some boss enemy uh you can like fuse mm-hmm. a sword with that and all of a sudden like you've got a, a, a much more powerful weapon i'm putting like rocks. you can like make literal homing missiles you can put like an eyeball on an arrow and make it into a homing <laughs> Wait, missile it's what? insane what you can do. oh yes you know those little bat guys that, that drop the eyeballs and wings when you kill them if you kill one and you take an eyeball and you fuse it to an arrow it creates a heat-seeking arrow that'll automatically target um <laughs> target creatures it's it's yes it's 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 yes been, this is this is oh my god <laughs> wow yeah i mean my yeah try it out it's a blast my big uh, my big brain thing has been like what if i put a rock on my shield <laughs> if i put a big <laughs> rock on the surface of my shield which has worked out well for me um Mm-hmm. Included uh, in this game are uh, five new powers. So this Ultra Hand, which allows you basically to like manipulate uh, uh, objects at a distance. So let's say you want to build, as you will if you play this game, like a mm-hmm. quarter mile long bridge out of logs. Uh, you cut down the trees and then use Ultra Hand to kind of like move the logs around. Uh, there is Fuse, which mm-hmm. we just explained. Ascend, which allows Link to... Uh, move through solid matter, like jump up. If you're in a cave, you can jump up into the rock, go through the rock, mm-hmm. and come out the other side. And you could do this with wood. You could do this with platforms. You could do it with, with anything, essentially, that's over Link's head. Recall, which allows mm-hmm. Link to rewind time, which... So my friend Heidi told me this, Zig. You know those rocks that are falling everywhere in Hyrule? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you see one just fall and you go to it, you can use recall to ride it all the way back up into the sky. Oh, I, I, you know what? That makes sense, but also it makes no sense because they give you no context. <laughs> yeah, you like, have to you know? figure that shit out. <laughs> and auto build, which is uh, now you don't have to assemble stuff. Like you, like you can build machines uh. and then save the the blueprint and then like take it out of your little magic bag and all the stuff pops into existence. That oh, I, I am not to get that. Um, so where yeah. are you in this game? Um, so I literally just landed in. I just literally just set foot in Hyrule because you spend the first maybe hour or two hours, depending on how slow you are, the game basically doing the tutorial, which is like in this sort of new sky region of the game. So I literally touched down like last night and I came across the, I'm assuming the first village you're supposed to come across. I don't know because they just, just dump you in the middle of a continent. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I made my little Studebaker and drove over there and like I, I got, I talked to Pura, I believe, who created like your, um, I think they may have updated the Sheikah Slate to the Pura Pad, I think yeah, is what yeah. they call it now. But I met them, and I was—I think I was given my first quest, but then I immediately just ran around and started shooting um, the goblin guy. So 
uh, I think the first the first point of order is getting your horse. I heard that you can get your horses back that you have from the first game. So uh, I had the the big thick boy from the first game with like the max <laughs> that like didn't run out of stamina. So I want to get that guy and build a cart for him, and then just like wreak havoc across Hyrule. One of the things that people have been doing in this game is torturing Koroks. So Koroks are these leaf like <laughs> creatures who in uh, who in Breath of the Wild you would find them in various places, but often under rocks or on the top mm. of uh, mountains or the top of like large pillars. Uh, and they would lead you to these little side quests. These Koroks, the the side quests are that uh, a Korok has been separated from his friend who's like across a, a chasm or on the other side of a river or mm-hmm. on the top of a mountain somewhere. And uh, again, no context was given, but Link is tasked with if he so chooses, to reunite this Korok with their friend. And you could do this by, like, say, building a wagon and using Ultrahand to put the Korok in the wagon and then driving him over there. Mm-hmm. But people are being so fucking diabolical to these Koroks, Zig. I've seen them being waterboarded by, like, machines. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I've seen I've seen two very very funny ones. One where someone built a catapult and then stuck a bunch of Koroks in there and launched them across the countryside. <laughs> and the other is someone had built a uh, a, a truck and a crucifix and stuck one <laughs> to the crucifix that was just driving around. <laughs> I, uh, I saw one. <laughs> Where they attached the Korok to a fucking rocket sled and just, like, shot it out into the distance. I, someone created a, uh, like, a, like, an engine gear that rotates yeah. um, uh, a spit on which they had attached four Koroks roasting over fire. It's like, what the... Oh, uh, this fuck? game is insane. It's so... Nuts. So this is only like day four of the game being That's out. what I'm saying. Like, how the fuck? At the time of this recording, this game has not been out a week. This game came out uh, yes. last Friday. Uh, you're going to be listening to it uh, potentially at on the one-week anniversary of the release of this game. And yet yeah. by Monday, people had built fully-fledged complex machinery <laughs> with which to torture these poor fucking Koroks. <laughs> In ways that, I, mean, I can't even count the number of Korok crucifixions that I have now seen. <laughs> yeah, that's a popular one. Um, I saw one. There's early on in the game when you first land, there's like this like gloom pit, like an inlet bottomless pit. Yeah. And I saw someone had built a plank and stuck a Korok at the top of a tower. And then he was they were firing fire arrows <laughs> to burn the planks and, and send the Korok to the bottom pit, bottomless pit. It was... Oh man, some of the that I mean truly like when I say gameplay game of the year, like I am no I'm not being facetious. Like this is exactly what video games should be, like capital V video games. Like this 100%. is so fun and so stupid. And when we say like full Gundam suits, legit yes. like um people are building like forty foot robots that Link controls yeah. with like a lar- a big lever, one huge lever. <laughs> Yeah. And these robots walk on two legs 
number one, and two, (laughs) fire auto lasers, like, out of its eyes and hands, and just, like, these bokoblins everywhere. These poor guys are just, like, running for their their lives. I... It is incredible what people are doing. I saw like I yeah, like a, it, you mentioned it the uh, like a jeep with independent suspension and four wheel drive like someone yeah. built. Yeah, four four wheel drive and again I guess later on in the game you get there's like a piece of technology that lets you actually steer the thing. But like they were fully just driving it around like an actual car, um, taking the lever this way and that way. Um, there was I think we may mention at the top of the show, but someone built a fully. F- fully functioning flying mech and they were they were like hunting i guess bird enemies that appear later in the game and like attacking the flying dragons in the sky it was crazy um rosie where are you in tears of the kingdom surprising absolutely no one i am relatively early in tears of the kingdom because i have been walking around building things and cooking <laughs> and cooking what is your what is your number what your your favorite recipe at this point and what is the best thing you've built? Okay, so the best thing and most frustrating thing that I built early on in the game when you know you have to build a lot of like contraptions to slide down things. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. helping a Korok find his friend because this is like the link version of Animal Crossing where you yeah. always have to run an errand for somebody. So I was using my powers, my ultra hand powers, but I slid him too far past his friend. So then I decided <laughs> that the only thing to do is to build an extremely large ladder. And I built yes. a ladder <laughs> so big out of tree trunks that they actually wouldn't let me add any more tree trunks to it. And it was tall enough <laughs> to go on the cliff. But when I was unshaking the little guy, I like demolished the whole thing, dropped him many times. I'm sure he was really regretting asking for my help. But that was definitely my most impressive build so far. I've also been trying to fashion like interesting boats. Because yeah. there's mm-hmm. so many, oh, you know, there's so yeah. many sails and I have not gone close enough to getting an engine. Or anything. Yeah, mm. sadly. But yeah, I've been trying to see how long. I The first time I came across a boat very early in the game, I was very excited. I added some wood to it and I tried to use it as a bridge and it fell horribly down like a giant cliff. And I was like <laughs> screaming into the night. I was like, no, no. So, 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 another another staple of these Breath of the Wild games is like the funny unintentional deaths. Like, have, oh you, my God. have you guys had your first funny, silly, kind of humiliating death with, with Oh, Link I've yet. had so many. I swear to God, I've been playing this, I played Breath of the Wild so much, and it did not yeah. stop me from just constantly dying. Like, especially when I first, <laughs> you know, I, I love the Sky Kingdom stuff, and like, it's really cool, like the Sky Islands, but the first couple of times when I didn't realize you had to, like, sometimes you have to press to, like, properly dive, it will be like, yeah. accelerate, yeah, yeah. and if you don't, it's like, you just definitely died. Like it's it's going horribly <laughs> wrong. For you. Also, just jumping into nothing because you think a river is there. I've done that. Yeah. 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 Uh, mine was I was building. I was I found a body of water and I was building like a raft. So I had stuck like three or four tree trunks together, and I but I needed to get down to actually get to the ra- to the water. So like I fell off a cliff, but I didn't know that if you fall from a certain height, you just stop levitating the stuff. So like I <laughs> fell down, took off like half a heart, and then I was smushed myself with the raft that I was making. And then they played that like this and that embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really similar to the food music for some reason. The cooking is really good. Very early on, you can cook pretty good stuff if you reach the guardian who tells you how to cook it. Like they have a one called a pepper steak and it looks so good. It's like a sky shroom, <laughs> a fire plant, a piece of meat, and an acorn. 
And um, yeah. And when you look at that image, you want to eat it. Like they got even better with the illustrations. So yeah, I, I got very quickly distracted after having to remember how you cook. Cause I was like standing next to it and I was pressing my up button on the D-pad. Like, okay, I'm looking at the food and it was like, and I was like, oh, I've got to go to the inventory and do it that way. Like it definitely took me a little while to get back into it, but it is like so much fun. And the Sky Islands is such a good way to make it immediately feel very different from Breath of the Wild. Yeah. I, uh, my funniest death thus far, other than the various times that I've just run out of stamina jumping off of something, like with my, uh, I've got the <laughs> paraglider now and I just, I'm early in the game. So I have a wheel and about a eighth of a wheel of stamina. And so I've died many, many times just like falling from great heights, <laughs> but I was, yeah. Early in the game in the Sky Islands, there's these, um, like, floating metal platforms that are thick, you know? Yeah. And so I was trying – I was using logs as bridges and moving them with ultra hand and then attaching (laughs) them, right? So I get up onto one. And I didn't realize that they react to weight, so I – you, I climb onto it and I use ultra hand again to grab another log that I had cut down that was still on solid ground. And I pull it over to this floating platform that I'm on and I, and I just kind of put it down. And the weight of it tips the entire platform <laughs> so that I fall off. The log hits me and I die. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it's too early in the game, but what kind of fits are we working with? Like, what's your drip like looking my for drip Link is, right now? Is it's rudimentary, but it's getting a little better. I've I've got the Hyrulean yeah. um, uh, hood, which I got at oh, the okay. um, at Hyrule Castle. So when you, I don't want to spoil it, but when you uh, when you kind of mm. first get into the main quest of the game. Um, yeah. the, the interaction takes place uh, in front of Hyrule Castle, where there's a whole research and development project going on about like what's mm-hmm. the current state of Hyrule and how do we stop it. And there, I was able to buy like a, a decent tunic and the hood. And up in the Sky Islands, I had also managed to find like warm weather, uh, cold weather pants, yeah. which was super important because you're up there basically nude. And other than yeah. like the hot peppers, which you can make like warming foods out of, like I was just freezing. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Yeah, I mean that's basically it. I'm I'm rocking. I after I got to Hyrule, I just you know I, let, I had let the boys out, so I took the shirt <laughs> off, and now I'm just rocking the cold weather pants um, until I find something something more suitable. But like in the Breath of the Wild, I was all, I always rocked the either the dark dark link oh yeah fit or the like the um I think they give you like rock climbing gear because I. Like that's honestly the most important part is like being able to like climb fast. Uh, like I, that was, that to me was the only, the only, the only hint of like, um, uh, a bad note for that game was like, it takes so long to actually climb, uh, in the game, unless you want to like waste all your stamina jumping up. I always wore the barbarian set, which was this kind of like, um, is that the one with the, yeah, with the horns and stuff and you're kind of shirtless mm-hmm. and you're, you get the thighs yeah. out. It's kind of like a Conan the yeah, Barbarian yeah. look, but it gives you like a uh, boost <laughs> to attack and stamina. Yeah, I would uh, mm-hmm. I would wear that, and honestly, the, the the dark set also when I was just kind of running yeah. around. Uh, and then, of course, like situationally, you know, like if you're in a cold environment, mm-hmm. I would wear uh, something to protect against the cold. The rubber suit in case mm-hmm. there were electrical storms going on. 
you know, the 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 Gerudo like veil and kind of gauzy mm-hmm. outfit just in case you're in that that intense heat. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm hoping I'm really hoping as with all my games to really get my drip going right now because it's very, very rudimentary. Yeah, that's the time. most um, that's that's always like the end game for me is like, what kind of drip can I get off? Um uh, uh, I, I, this is just uh, so I, I did the I did a pre order at at Best Buy with a couple of friends and they purchased some amiibos along with it. Now I've never been an amiibo an amiibo user, but but do you have one? Like, have you ever used one with like this I, one or Breath of the Wild? I have not done it. I'm glad that you actually don't need the amiibo for uh for, to get content for Tears of the Kingdom, but I've not been an amiibo person. How yeah. do you use it? That's the other thing. Is I'm unclear on how the amiibo works. <laughs> um, my my old man brain also has a similar, very similar question. But I think, I guess there's some type of like Bluetooth type device where like you just tap it to either I guess your Game Pro controller or the physical switch, and then I guess you get items from that. But I I again, old man Zig, I do not know. I've not actually physically used one before. X-ray vision will be back. The Crooked Store just released a new twist on our classic Call Congress merch. Announced that you're in your Calling Congress era with new tees, tanks, mugs, and mouse pads. If you're stuck in your angry scrolling era, this is your sign to pick something up that'll remind you to take action. Plus, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase go to Vote Save America's No Off Years Fund to support the work of organizers across the country. Head to crooked.com slash store to check it out and charge your phone. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And we're back. What else are you playing right now, Zig? I have a, uh, a much too robust video game life. Uh, and yeah. uh, I'm eager to share the the various video games that I'm both waiting for and have been playing. But what are you playing? What were you playing before this? <laughs> well, I have a staple game. That's it's a it's a you know it's a free to play gacha game. So like that, I got to get my hours in basically every day for that. That's called Gundam Battle Operation Two. I won't get into it because it's you know I I I just can't open that can of worms. But <laughs> um, besides that, I was a I was a huge um, Resident Evil Four fan for the, the for the GameCube. And the remake just came out, and um, I have gone. F- I have regressed to full sixteen-year-old just playing through games again. Like I beat it once, then I beat it on hardcore difficulty. And before Tears of Kingdom, Tears of the Kingdom came out, I was speed running my way through professional mode. If you beat it in under five and a half hours, you get like a special gun in the game and some special um, armor for for one of the characters. So like, I was about thirty minutes into that. I think I had breezed my way somehow to like. I think there were like 16 levels in the game. I had always, I had already sped run my way to like level four or five in like 30 minutes. So like I was on a clear path, I think to, to take home the gold, but then Hyrule came calling back. So I had to, I had to run away. 
Um, I was I, I was going to get um, Jedi Survivor, the, the sequel to that, but um, you know I had to had to sort of flip a coin between this and, and yeah. Zelda, and like I feel like Zelda's just going to just I would not have time to play that game. Like Zelda's going to take all my attention. I have Jedi Survivor waiting impatiently for me to get done with my uh, Tears of the Kingdom uh, fix which probably mm. won't happen at least for a few days but I've, I'm eager to play it yeah let's see I have been playing I'm always playing Overwatch 2 just because it's a game I can play for like a couple minutes and get my uh, the yeah. most toxic version of myself out <laughs> I'm a in competitive is that, is that game still running do they shut down the server no no, no, no. It's, it's, with that? it's ongoing so in terms of like okay. multiplayer games like because I've aged out of you know like Call of Duty and that sh- I just don't have the Twitch yeah 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 like nervous system that yeah. way anymore. Yeah. So I need to play like different characters who don't just like point and point and shoot. So Overwatch yeah. allows me to do different things, to play different kinds of characters with different kinds of abilities. It's basically like mm-hmm. a multiplayer version of like the X-Men, this game. Uh, yeah. And I usually play yeah, yeah. healers. So I'm a bronze level one, which is about as mm. low as you can be in this game in competitive, but yeah. uh, that's because I'm on PC. I've been playing, yeah. let's see, I was playing Dead Island 2 recently, which is the long-awaited sequel mm. to, uh, I think, 2011's Dead Island on the Xbox yeah. 360 console. Um, super yeah. fun game set in L.A., which allows you to, like, craft different weapons and kill lots and lots and lots and lots of zombies. <laughs> if you like Borderlands, you will like Dead Island. Let's see what else am I playing. I'm playing a lot of building games, Zig. It, like... This is why Tears yeah. of the Kingdom playing? has got its hooks into me. <laughs> I love games where you can craft and build things. So Sons mm-hmm. of the Forest, which I've mentioned before, is like you can you you fight yeah. cannibals like on this deserted island, and you can build like a base, and you can build like catapults, and you can build different like fortifications. And I've been doing that big time. I've been playing a Green Hell, which is a survive in the Amazon jungle game. Okay, and. It's a little too hardcore for me, but it's still pretty fun. It's like you're you start. It's like art In what where way? you start with like a okay. stick yeah, and yeah. a rock, and like somehow from that you build like machinery and different like you know, and like a house out of mud. And I think we may have talked about this on the picket line, but like I had friends that are really into arc, uh, but it seemed the the buy in seemed such a long time to get to where I needed to get in that game that I just could not fathom running around with a stick being eaten by saber soup tigers. But I have seen like I have seen like in-game videos where you can so you can capture animals in the game and use them as mounts. But someone had captured like a giant pterosaurus and had built fully built a base on the back of the pterosaurus and put a minigun in. So like they were fully just <laughs> had built a flying fortress and were just like they did built basically built a helicarrier and they were just like flying around gunning down um monsters i guess to get whatever they needed to get but like that seems fun like i like to get to that point but like the in between that and like the 30 hours i'd have to put in to, like get to that point is always pretty daunting uh, for me. yeah arc is a game where i had to check out because i kept getting eaten by like tyrannosaurus rexes and i literally yeah. had like a spear with a like some straw like wrapping around the handle like i didn't have anything <laughs> i've been playing the wandering village which is an indie game uh probably available on all consoles uh the conceit is imagine like the building mechanic from like age of empires where you like build different mm-hmm. um types of buildings and unlock different things for your society and you're building this on the on the huge shell of this giant walking 
uh, four-legged, like, turtle-like beast. And, oh, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. And as it walks around, it goes through different regions of this world with different mm. weather patterns and different levels of, like, pollution. And so you have to establish, like, a bond with this animal. You can either choose to, like, exploit it and <laughs> use its blood and use its bodily fluid for stuff, mm -hmm. which can harm it, or you can choose to, like, which comes with some boosts like there there are reasons for doing that mm. but then you can do other things that like build your um trust with the creature and if you can build your trust with the creature you can mm. like tell it to go certain ways so it doesn't like walk into like mm. the desert where it's all hot and now all of a sudden you don't have water mm -hmm. that game is really fun uh and let's see what else am i playing i'm getting ready to play diablo 4 are you diablo person uh no but i was gonna why you were talking i, I was thinking about a game I've been replaying, a game that I really was a big fan of years ago, XCOM, the XCOM series. Oh, but XCOM is good. I've been replaying XCOM too. Would you, would you, did you ever get into the XCOM games? I love or XCOM, X man. XCOM style games? Yeah, XCOM oh, is, uh, how would you describe it? As like a third-person, turn-based strategy action game yes. in which the player is fighting off an alien invasion. Yes, with like, like very light elements of like resource management. Yeah. Like, like you're like, running a bureaucracy like a government bureaucracy so it's like you need to go to nibia to negotiate to get enough iron to give to england which is like can be a little boring and frustrating but the actual like moment to moment gameplay where you're doing the strategy is very addicting because you build you build basically you build individual soldiers and you become bizarrely attached to them and if they die they die and so like you know you and sometimes if you're like me like you'll fully restart campaigns because you had lost your favorite french soldier that has been with <laughs> you since mission two you know <laughs> uh do you have any wrecks of of recent games or games you've played in uh recent years that you've you've quite enjoyed I know our friend Andrew has been playing yeah, a I lot mean, of Marvel Snap, which is basically Hearthstone with a Marvel skin on it that is really, really addicting. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that game is addicting. I mean, I've heard yeah, all of those sort of card-based games yeah. are addicting. That's why I've never really dumped into them because I, I just know I have that that in me. Um, I'll, I'll hit like some greatest hits like Hades. If you're, if you're oh, going to get a Switch, Hades. I highly recommend Hades. One of the best video games ever made. Fantastic story. Fantastic voice acting, fantastic art direction. It's, it's all you can ask for. It's a fantastic game. It's one of the few games that I look, I feel sad when I boot it up because I see the triple digits I've put into it hour-wise, but that's a great game. I think a little bit more modern um, Resident Evil 4 remake. Uh, again, capital V video game. Um, it's a game that does not take itself seriously, but also does take itself very seriously at moments. It's a really, really fun ride. Um, I, I highly recommend that. And, um, you know, for fighting games, um, I, I highly recommend um, Dragon Ball Fighters, which came out maybe four years ago at this point. But if, if you're a fan of like Marvel versus Capcom style arcade fast paced action and a fan of the anime Dragon Ball Z, I highly recommend that. Fantastic art. Um, they use a system that's. Uh, that sort of replicates animation style. So it looks like you're playing an episode of the anime or the, the manga, uh, issue of the manga. It's really, really cool. Um, those are probably like my three or four go-to titles to play. And of course, you know, Twilight, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, um, just because it's going to be the only thing anyone's ever talking about for the next oh, month Oh, absolutely. Let's see. For uh, for the folks who are going to game, I'm always, I'm always recommending Stardew Valley. It's available, indie game available on any platform. Uh, just one of the deepest, most positive, 
most addicting games ever. It's ostensibly like a farm resource management simulator, but it goes much deeper than that and explores themes of like um, corporatism versus naturalism, community versus isolation, capitalism versus, uh, you know, shared responsibilities and benefits. Uh, and it is just like delightful to look at. Crusader Kings 3. Crusader Kings 3 is one so fucking hard and hard to get <laughs> your arms around. I had to watch, no joke, like six hours of tutorials to like really kind of understand the Crusader Kings like mechanics. But once you kind of get it, and the tutorial is pretty good at giving it to you, it can be really fun. I usually play as a um, like as a uh, skullduggery focused uh, ruler, which mm. means like I'm spreading rumors uh, about my rivals. I'm like sending spies mm -hmm. to like enemy <laughs> enemy uh, castles to find out like who's fucking who and like what what are the secrets I can use to get leverage on people, and like how can I lure this person to my kingdom so that I can <laughs> fucking imprison them and kill them, you know. <laughs> And what's really cool about Crusader Kings 3 is, much like Crusader Kings 2, there is a, a Westeros mod. So uh, it's just been released, oh, I think, a month cool. ago. You can basically play as a ruler in on the continent of Westeros. You can either be a Stark, you can be a Lannister, you can be a Baratheon, and then I think you can be a Greyjoy. Um, and through that, you can try and unify uh, Westeros under your control. And it's the same mechanics as uh, the Crusader Kings 3 game, but they've skinned it uh, for uh, mm. for A Song of Ice and Fire with like biographical material from the from the games from the from the books. Excuse me. And it's super fun. Let's see. I'm playing. What's your go-to house that you that you that you go with? I go with the Starks because it's honestly the easiest. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's the easiest yeah. difficulty, um, and because you just start out with like massive bonuses to like uh, mm -hmm. f war fighting, so yeah, very easy to get gold by just like sending armies to raid. <laughs> like whoever like when you start the yeah. game uh robert's rebellion is like ongoing so the thing i like to do is mm -hmm. send my armies to fight uh the lannisters and and king Aerys's forces and but instead of like fighting his armies i'll like go to different areas and just like while uh robert baratheon's armies are like doing the heavy lifting yeah. i'll just like raid villages and like take all their voltage. asymmetrical yeah. warfare <laughs> 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 um i am pl uh if you want to play like something that's like very like 16-bit throwbacky that's like an uh mm. always changing like dungeon crawler experience kind of it's like hades only like uh, like with that kind of 16-bit throwback uh mm -hmm. style noida is really fun it's basically you play mm. as a kind of wizard that explores all these different kind of caverns where you find all kinds of different monsters in there um, and let's see, what else am I playing? Oh, here's one more, one last, uh, suggestion is Celeste. Have you played Celeste? Oh, yes. No, but I've heard nothing but fantastic things about Celeste that Celeste is probably the best video game about mental health that I've ever played. It's a, mm. a 2D platformer that is really, really hard, but the hardness of the mechanic underlines the theme of like 
processing trauma and trying and trying again to like overcome certain things in your life. And it's all about this character, Celeste, who's climbing this mountain, this like huge mountain and trying to find herself and come to peace with herself. And she faces all these Mm. different challenges along the way. And it is super, super addicting, really, really hard, but really, really fun. Again, it's available on basically whatever platform you have. Uh, And then if you really want to get toxic, and you're not good at shooting things anymore, and you want to play a multiplayer game that is the closest I've ever felt to, like, this must be what it feels like to be in the NBA, Overwatch 2. <laughs> it's, people are going to hate on it, but it's still fun. When I play competitive, Zig, in the competitive mode, yeah. and all the for all the marbles, all the chips are on the table, people are sniping at each mm-hmm. other in the chat, like, why are you picking that character? What the fuck are you doing? Stop yeah, standing yeah, yeah. in the doorway. Do all like... It is... The closest I think I've ever I'll ever come to feeling like I'm a professional athlete, like it, competing <laughs> in something that matters. That that's one of those games where I'm so bad at it, but like when you do have a good day or a good match, you are like count the rings. Like that's very much the feeling when you're like, oh, you're picking Hanzo. That's trash. Like count the rings, baby. Um, well, Zig. Let's talk about the writer strike since uh, since uh, you mentioned it. We do go and pick it at. Five in the morning. Most yes. recently, we were we were together <laughs> with our friend Andrew and Pornsack and Z uh, at five in the morning at Rally Studios, trying to shut down a production over there. Um, mm-hmm. What has your experience been like over the course of this uh, two week long, three week long strike? Um, I was in sort of a unique position because the last show I was on wrapped in February, so like I really didn't have much going on outside of, you know, occasional podcast and, and writing comic books. So like I definitely had the free time, uh, and like was used to having pretty open days. Like I do nothing besides wake up, do a little bit of writing workout, and then like fuck off for the rest of the day. So like, this has been a perfect, perfect excuse for me to like dedicate some of that like energy I've had. Um, but I've been, I've never picketed anything before. Like I've, I've protested, but I've never been part of like a union action. Um, so like it has been very sort of inspiring to see something this well organized be mobilized. Um, I've been hitting predominantly Disney studios because that's the company I've worked for the most. And also, uh, parking is easier (laughs) in the Valley, but, uh, it's been interesting seeing how each, each picketing site has its own little like ecosystem. Like it's like different, it's like different tables in like the high school lunchroom, you know, like, Oh, this is the cool table. This is like the weird table. This is the table where like the burnout and freaks hang out. Like it's been very, very fun. Um, also it's just been nice to like, for me anyway, I I think maybe the same for you. Like most of my writing experience has been through zoom. So like seeing other people in person for the first time has been very interesting. Um, particularly people that you only know from online or you only know from like little boxes in the zooms. Like um, I was telling Jason earlier before we started recording that we had a, a Futurama meetup last week at Paramount, and uh, I, I, you know, I had been with these people for like more than a year, but it's still the first time that I'm meeting like half the cast in person. So like I'm finally meeting like Billy West and Dave Herman and Maurice LaMarche and all these people that are has been have been in my computer screen for for basically a year and even more so in my brain for 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 watching the show. But like. It's been for nice that in that regard, and also it's been nice watching the greater community of Los Angeles come together. You know, it is an industry town. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of solidarity from businesses. I've had you know businesses reach out to me, like ask how to get in contact, to like donate food or donate time and stuff. It's been really great, and a lot of 
businesses have been um, offering discounts in for for WGA members, which has been nice. Uh, it's the only time I've worn like a WGA shirt and have people give me nods and like solidarity fists while walking down the street, which has been very interesting. Like it's been a really fun experience, um, very unique experience. Um, I'm, but what is your what has your experience been like? You know, I've learned I've been learning so much, and I think the thing that has really stood out to me as you know, as this union tries to grapple with the issues facing it is like you said, like I'm a, I'm a person who is like it, writing for TV is not all that I do. And I, mm. and it suddenly struck me how basically almost everyone I know that uh, is a member of the WGA does other things like if if their yeah. <laughs> income was just writing for TV, they probably would not be able to live in L.A. Certainly, or yeah. like yeah. survive because yeah. you know the way the industry is is you get on a show, maybe you work for ten weeks or twelve weeks or whatever. Um, pay during that time is great. Like, uh, you know, really, yeah. you know, great union wages, union bargained wages. So great. But then the show's over. There's a hold on you because if it gets picked up or if it comes back at a certain time, yeah. they have like the, the right to to have you basically book you first. So you have to clear out like part of your calendar. Mm -hmm. And so and also it's hard to get other gigs. So you might not work again for yeah. two three, four months, eight months, and it has nothing to do with how talented you are, how brilliant of a writer mm -hmm. you are. That's just the way the landscape of this is now. And you mentioned the Zoom issue. I think, you know, the fact that writers don't go to set anymore is yeah. really one of the huge issues that we're dealing with because that is the path to forward advancement. You know, like... Um, yes. You're seeing now... A lot of this kind of like discourse about, well, well, you know, like a lot of the, yes, the CEOs make a lot of money, but a lot of uh, the, the highest earning writers make uh, multi, multi, multi millions of dollars. And they're very, very successful. And some of them, Mike White, uh, you know, Matt Weiner, they don't have, they, they have very yeah. small like writers rooms or they just work on their own. So like, what are these issues we're dealing with? Well, first of all, those people. Like Matt Weiner, I think his like first gig was like, uh, what was Andy Richter's? What was that Andy Richter show from the early 2000s? Like the, Andy Richter controls the universe. Yes, Andy Richter controls the universe. Yeah, and like that was his yeah. first foray as a working writer, where I'm sure he garnered the benefits and the and you know the health benefits mm -hmm. and the and the retirement benefits that are that you get when you're a member of the union. The way people get there to those to to if they are fortunate enough to become like this massive force in the industry is by working their way up the ladder. And basically that ladder is being like pulled up ahead of yeah. so many people like, uh, and it's really concerning. You know, I think the AI issue is mm. one that, and the minimum, uh, minimum staff writer number is, is yeah. two issues that I, I kind of didn't understand, you know, like, so mm -hmm. one of our proposals is to set, a number of minimum a minimum number of writers for each room for each kind of show yeah and why are we doing this the reason is because increasingly 
shows in mini rooms are being produced by like one head writer and like a handful of other writers. They're trying to whittle it down. And with yeah. the entrance of AI yeah. into the into the field, you know, you could see a world in which the studios would just want like AI generating ideas and then a couple, maybe one writer or two making it mm-hmm. palatable for human consumption. Usable. Yeah. And in that case, you'd have, you know, like a hundred shows and two hundred writers. And the WGA ceases to exist as a body at that point. There's no health insurance. There's none of that stuff. So it really is, when Mm -hmm. people say it's existential, it kind of is. It really is. Yeah. Well, also, in all the stuff that you mentioned before about, you know, these mini rooms and and being together and your show coming out and all that stuff. Also, there's a reality where your show just doesn't come out. Like, you spend all this time working on something, but then you don't have the calling card. But, yes, I worked on this. I have something to show you. Uh, it can just not be made or it can be made and then it can be pulled off of the platform it was on uh, to just be sold off for like, you know, 0.5% off of the end of the year taxes. So, like, I- I've been lucky to work for, I mean, I did work for a show that's been pulled off. I, my first show, Craig of the Creek, like, you can't find it uh, on HBO Max anymore. Like, it, it, it's gone. Like, it was a show that was also an animated show that was canceled, you know, halfway through its fifth season with the spinoff that was canceled, you know. Um, I've been lucky in that most of the other shows I've worked for have been bigger shows like you know it's gonna it would be very hard for marvel to be like you know we're, we're just gonna not show right. she hulk anymore we're, we're done with that you know it's kind of hard to be like for for hulu to be like yeah we're not we're gonna cancel this reboot for futurama because it has a staying power or whatever so like i i've been very lucky in that regard but i know for a fact that that most other writers don't have that like it's it's very like I worked on Futurama for 56 weeks like, and that is a very rare thing for people to do um, in this industry um, at this level um, and be able to earn like an actual living. But even with that, like I was still doing this podcast occasionally. Mm-hmm. I was also still writing comic books because, you know, that well is going to dry up and you can go, like you said, two, four, six, eight, sometimes a year, year and a half between between jobs. Yeah, I have no idea how long this is going to go. I hope it ends to the benefit of all in a rapid manner, but it may not considering how far apart the sides are. Um, (laughs) But it's been delight. It's been really great to be, as you said, like shoulder to shoulder with so many talented people. I think one of the coolest parts of this is meeting generations of writers who, because they struck in actions years ago, we are now able to enjoy stuff like being able to go to the doctor, you know, and go see a dentist, you know? And the fact that those people are doing it again, it feels good. You know, it feels like right now I've got a show coming out. I can't promote it because we're on strike. But it feels, (laughs) but it also feels like good to be part of this thing that hopefully can Mm -hmm. solidify this as a career for all the people out yeah. there who would who dream of writing for a living and hopefully get into this field, yeah. like uh, for this to exist in years to come, we have to be victorious now. And I hope we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, thanks here. for joining us, Zig. Do you have anything to plug? Yeah, of course. Always a pleasure to come back. Um, yeah, actually, I, as of this recording, you know, Miles Morales Spider-Man number six has just come out. Um, check that out. Uh, it's a really fun book. Um, I've been very lucky that the reviews have been great and the sales have been great. So uh, I just found out la- the other week that, you know, I was originally contracted for 12 issues and now it's up to 24. Hell so you yeah. at least got me for two years of Miles was really fun. <laughs> um, uh, it's been a fun, fun ride. Like I, I, I love that 
I get to play with this character. So check that out. It's, it's literally uh, literally one of my dreams come true is writing writing Miles Morales. Uh, it's great to hang out with you, Zig. I'll see you on the picket line of at course, four man. in the morning soon. <laughs> Up next, Hive Mind with Sean Gunn to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to The Hive Mind, where we discuss a topic in detail with an expert guest. In this episode, uh, who could be more of an expert than Sean Gunn, who co-stars as Kraglin in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Volume 3, and the franchise in general. Sean Gunn, welcome to X-Ray Vision. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, congrats on a rousing conclusion to the uh, Guardians trilogy. Rousing. Uh, I like it, that. It was. I mean, it was... Uh, a raccoon made me cry, which was many times unexpected. Many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's our job. Um, any any thoughts now looking back on this trilogy? Uh, like fun moments, highlights. Oof. Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? Um, it, uh, as yeah, much as, as, long as you want. want. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like the, it really has been an amazing. Um, it, it it will always be a touchstone for my entire career. These movies. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I uh, went to, to London to shoot the first one around 10 years ago. And um, and now three movies later. And, you know, it's such a it's, you know, 10 years is 20 percent of my life. So it's like it's a <laughs> it's a big and it's a big part of me. The people that I met and that I worked with along the way, um, working with my brother, um, but really the most important thing is just making movies that I'm proud of and that I think are really, you know, strong stories to tell. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, that 10 year journey in that time, we've also seen comic book movies go from being something that was still kind of seen as niche. And, you know, mm -hmm. when Guardians came out, people were like, nobody knows who these characters are. If you weren't like us and like digging in the back bins of a comic book shop to becoming the biggest thing in the world what's that journey been like kind of being a part of that especially as one of the most ragtag unexpected but beloved kind of teams yeah i certainly feel very fortunate to be um a part not, not only of the mcu but definitely this franchise in general but you're right it's like it's a good it it was a good time to sort of get in in in, in the door um right when uh, right when comic book movies are the biggest things in the world um though i don't think I'm not somebody who thinks that, okay, well, the heyday is going to be over and then that's it. They're going to go mm -mm. away. You know, comic books themselves didn't go away. You know, we <laughs> right. didn't. Right, 100 years we, strong. We, exactly. Yeah. It's like they're, they're a great template for telling great stories. So we're going to keep having them. I don't know if they'll be as, 
is they'll always be the, the the biggest movies of the year. But so what? They're they're going to be mm-hmm. they're going to always be around, and we're going to keep telling great stories with them. Um, how do you view Craglin? When you embody this character, who is Craglin? It's a good question. You know, I the funny thing is, is that I didn't know exactly who Craglin was really mm-hmm. until I saw the first movie. You know, mm-hmm. it was like we because we experimented on set a lot by we. I mean, my brother James and I on who this guy was. And I knew that he was kind of, you know, Yandu's sort of sidekick. He was listed as the first mate. But we weren't sure what was going to make him most effective, and we played with him being a little more menacing or a little bit, mm. uh, you know, dopier or more bored or more whatever. And he just kind of landed where he landed. And then I saw it, and then I, I sort of understood who he was. You get this glimpse at the end of the first movie where um, we know that, that Craglin was there when Yondu uh, uh, picks up Peter Quill from Earth. Um, Craglin was already there on the ship and, and he's not that much older than Peter. So they, they've mm. grown up together. Um, then in the second movie, what we kind of learn is that, is that this is the prodigal son. It's the parable of the prodigal son story, right? Where Quill is the, is the son who leaves and Craglin's the, the one who stays. And for whatever reason, Yandu seems so happy and wel- welcoming and, and open to Peter and Craglin's a little bit like, what about me? I've been here the whole time. Um, that's been his journey to figure that out. And then into the third movie, still wanting to do right, still wanting to like be a good, uh, p- to produce, to help the team, to be a good soldier, which is really a driving thing for Craglin. Um, but trying to put it in the place of, but who am I here? What, where, where is mm-hmm. I? on the, on the outside or am I a part of it? And, you know, we get to, we get a fun glimpse into how that all goes for him in the third movie. Yeah. And then what about your kind of other performance? Cause you are in quite a rare situation where you get to play someone in live action and craft this character of Craglin, but you're also essentially a creature performer bringing rocket to life in mocap when you're on the set. So what's it like to see rocket go on this journey that obviously in the third movie, this is rocket's movie. Yeah. This is the story of him. It really is. It really is Rocket's movie. Um, you know, I'm, I've been, again, I've been in the right place at the right time um, f- here and there in my career. And I also um, have, fortunately, I have certain weird skills. And one of those skills is <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm super limber. And in the first movie, when we needed, we needed somebody to, to, you know, play Rocket with the other actors, my brother James knew he wanted someone he had trusted and worked with. And in the first rehearsal, I just kind of got down on all fours and started doing it. And so I've contributed in the process of creating Rocket. I mean, of course, Rocket has an entire team of people mm-hmm. that make him. He's got, you know, the, my brother, the writer, quarterbacking everything. And then, of course, um, I do my part on set. The visual effects team takes it from there. And then Bradley Cooper really is just amazing and and kind of makes the whole character complete when he puts all the pieces together. Um, from my point of view, I just try to do what I do for any character, which is I try to to understand where they are in time and space when we see when we see them and they're doing their scenes and I try to do right by them. Uh, so I uh, yeah, it's a it's a, a lot of it takes a lot of focus and energy, but um, 
but I'm really happy to have been able to do it. Um, tell us about, about working with uh, Sylvester Stallone. He makes <laughs> his first appearance in the second movie, and we see him here in the third movie. Uh, he has, uh, you know, I quote the line all the time <laughs> about the uh, about the horns, the horns of freedom, <laughs> the coals of gourd, and how they uh, will not uh, flash uh-uh. over Yondu's grave uh, because of the various uh, crimes he has committed. What is it? What was it like working with a legend like? Well, that? What, what can you say about a legend? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 Sly was absolutely great. He was. He, how do I put it? He's what you'd expect. Mm. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. I love having it, 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 I love having him there, but he's a little larger than life for me. I I say hello and shakes my hand. He's like, hey, Sean, good to see you. <laughs> um, but I don't I don't do too much. Um, I, I I get a little bit awestruck by somebody like him, you know. Um, which is funny because I've worked with everybody now. I worked, mm-hmm. at, you know, like I did all the Avengers movies. I I was on set every day with. With all the Avengers, and uh, and then you add in Suicide Squad, and I I think my my resume for the biggest actors that I've worked with is 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 pretty pretty substantial now. If I start listing all the people <laughs> that I've worked with, but Sly is in his own category. He's not mm-hmm. like the, he's not like everyone else. He's not just a star. He's a he's an icon, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I can say that he was. He was certainly very, very nice to me, and I, I, I enjoyed every second I got to spend with him on set. Okay, another important performance question about a co-star. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. obviously, Cosmo. Oh, yeah. The, my MVP. Love her. How hard was it to tell Cosmo she was a bad dog? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm an animal lover, and I would never... Yeah, you would never dog. say that. You got to understand, though... Craglin's really, his feelings are really hurt here. Yeah. You know, he's been yeah. trying for so long. Like, you know, we see that he can't get the arrow right. He's hit tracks at the end of the second movie. He doesn't even try to use it in the Christmas special. He says, I'm taking, like, I, taking a break. I don't have the hang of it. I'm not even <laughs> like, and then at the beginning of this movie, it's like he's putting his all into it. And Cosmo kind of laughs at him and just whoop, 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 whoop. And, uh, you know, his feelings are hurt. So he he maybe says something that's a little bit, I know, you shouldn't call your dog a bad dog. But it was, <laughs> it was hard. It was particularly hard because Maria is amazing. So yeah. Maria Bacalova, yeah. who, who um, you know, uh, who plays Cosmo, was right there for everything. And she's one of the most gifted and, and giving um, performers I've, I've ever worked with. She's just, like, up for anything. And she's right there. And it's like, there's... There's that's Cosmo. She's there's no um, there's no question about it. And um, and her feelings were hurt. So that <laughs> feel bad was that Maria was like, why can't you tell me I'm a good dog? <laughs> your collaboration with your brother, uh, James, goes back to Tromeo and Juliet. Way, way, way. Oh, back. it goes back What's farther that? than that, my friend. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> What is that like, and how did it start for you? How did how did this uh, this life, this career in acting and entertainment start for y'all? Well, you know the interesting thing. So James and I are, are, are there's six kids in our family, uh, hmm. and so we we have four siblings in between. He's the oldest, and I'm the youngest. We have four in between the two of us. We're all very tight in age, so we're like um, 
and and we're very close. We grew up together. We love music and movies um, and pop culture. And in a weird way, our 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 paths, you know, they were together when we we're kids, and we we're like working on stuff together and 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 playing with our Star Wars figures in the basement. And then they diverged. We go off and do our separate things. And James went to writing school and I went to acting school. I was always on, on the path to be an actor. Um, and then from, for us, fortunately, they came back together again and we, our jobs fit very nicely. I actually think if, you know, if the, if the job was right, we'd probably work with all of our siblings. It's, you know, um, (laughs) because they're writers and creatives and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, James was making Tromeo in 94 in New York. And I happened to be in acting school in, in Chicago. Um, and it was summertime and I had, uh, access to some, uh, some decent actors. So like, like, uh, some of the, the people that are, you know, uh, uh, Valentine Mealy, who's in, in who plays Murray and, uh, Tromeo was just my, my classmate Good, <laughs> brought him out and like, whatever. But it's always like that with me and James. It's like, we're going to try to. We'll, we'll help each other as much as we can. And we work together uh, uh, when we can, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned kind of these, you know, playing with Star Wars toys in the basement, loving pop culture, all of you having these shared interests. Do you remember reading comics together when you were kids? Were there comics that kind of you bonded over? Or was that something that came later with Guardians? Well, I have to be, the full disclosure here is that James was always the comic book guy. And he was really dug, dug deep into comics um, and, um, I, I was more the type to gamble on sports, but that's a different, <laughs> hey, both sides are needed <laughs> That's a yeah. for another day. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and so, yeah, I always, I like comics, but I was never the, you know, James is uh, obviously everyone knows this now, but like James is a maniac for, he, he's like so into it. And it's really his, it's, uh you know, alongside music and, and and movies and stuff. It's really such an intense, intense passion for him. Whereas Mm -hmm. I was always very appreciative, but I wasn't, I don't know from different, you know, types of like, I know, I know who the characters are and I try to know a little something about what's going on, but, um, but yeah, no, I can't keep up the way he does. Uh, How looped in are you, with uh, James, of course, uh, wrote and directed Guardians 3. How looped in are you, uh, you know, ahead of time on, you know, what James is thinking about, where, which way the story is going to go? Uh, or or you, do you just prefer to show up on the day and here's the script? and we'll No, he, and James loops me in real early. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But part of it is just because I think he likes having, he, you know, I stay out of it when he's writing, when he's like create in the creation part. Um, I don't have any, any say there. I wouldn't want any say, and it's not part of my thing. He gets, he goes into his James cocoon and does his thing. <laughs> but usually when he's done with the script, particularly for these guardians movies, he'll, he'll sit me down and we'll have a conversation and, and he'll go over it with me and kind of tell me everything that happens. So these movies, I mean, I knew, you know, I knew when we were making the first movie, I knew what Rocket's entire backstory was um, mm. that we end up seeing oh, wow. in the third movie. Um, I, I knew a, a lot of that. 
Um, and then, you know, just kind of along the way after the, the first movie came out and it was, and it was successful, we knew we were making a second one. He sat me down and told me everything that happened in the second movie. And I knew, um, a lot of that stuff. I knew who Quill's father was in the first movie too. So it's like, it's oh, like wow. he, he sort of like keeps me, he, he lets me know uh, what's, what's going on. And part of <laughs> I'm a fortress. I don't, I, I don't spill to anyone ever. Um, <laughs> partially because I'm a good and loyal brother, but also because, uh, as I said before, I'm, I'm a little less interested in, in the, in, in Mm. I, and so I forget things. He'll tell me, he'll tell me like these big, huge secrets. And, and, uh, and people will say, do you know what that secret is? I'm like, I know he told me, but I forgot. You're like, uh, I'm not sure. Ego who? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he keeps me in on it. Although I don't know much about what I know he's busy as hell right now. We're working on, you know, he's, we got one project we're working on together, but for the most part, he's, he's knee deep in Superman and like doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know very little about it. He's, he told me how casting was going <laughs> and you know, before you get all excited that I'm going to say anything. The fortress, <laughs> come on. We would never ask. Oh, come on. We Is, uh, yeah, never ask. Know, I know that it's going pretty well. That's always That's good. That's about as much good as I can hear. say. Yeah. Good to hear. You, right. you kind of talked about, you t- talked a little bit about that project you guys are working on I, the suicide squad was like is one of my favorite superhero movies mm. i loved weasel so happy to see him survive oh yeah when you played that character as you said you know james kind of lets you in on this stuff but obviously the trajectory of dc films has changed did you imagine you would get to bring weasel back as a kind of recurring character in something like creature commandos did i fear that i would be forced to bring weasel back <laughs> 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 had you considered you would make a character so terrifying well, and you had I to bring knew, him back? <laughs> I knew we, you know, I knew we shot that that closing credit sequence where Weasel's alive. So yeah, he's alive. I knew Weasel was alive, and I know it's like, uh, in some ways, I think Weasel is the cross I have to bear as an actor. I <laughs> do stuff like that. It's it's. Uh, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm for whatever reason I'm good at at characters that are just like total freaks uh, <laughs> which is what weasel is i think we can all agree uh without offending anyone that weasel is a freak oh no i love weasel for his freakiness oh yeah that's, that's, right. that's why we love him um, but I, i'm happy you know what's cool is that in creature commandos we're gonna get to learn a little more about weasel mm-hmm. uh Ooh. so uh i i'm i'm excited for people to uh to see that uh, it was revealed in a, in uh, deleted scenes that Craglin was present at the big battle at the Avengers mm-hmm. compound at the end of Endgame. In your mind, what was Craglin up to? How did how did he do in there? <laughs> well, the, you know, I th- you know the conceit was that Craglin um, did not survive the blips, so he was he did he did disappear for those five years, mm-hmm. and then he came back, um, and he would have still been with. Uh, the Ravagers at that at that time, so mm. he was ready to go. I mean, you know, <laughs> like Craglin's a, a great pilot, and he is uh, um, tremendously loyal and just like, what is it you need from me? I'm 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 ready to go. It's it's. I think um, I think he seems a little. He can seem a little clumsy sometimes, but I actually think he's pretty fearless. Yeah, you think in that moment he was ready. Yeah, take down Thanos. Do. It was time. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I I think that that's not. I don't think Craglin is true. Cla- Craglin's fear is disappointing people. 
It's not. It's <laughs> giant not space dying. aliens. <laughs> it's like a dying thing. That's just gonna ha- like you may be mm-hmm. in battle and die. That's how sol- that's how soldiers go out. Mm. But his fear is disappointing people, and so I think he was pretty ready to go. Yeah. Uh, finally, and thank you for your time, Sean. It's it, in your mind when Craglin does pass many, 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 many years from now. <laughs> The uh, the horns of freedom, the colors of Orgord, will they flash above his grave? Oh, from your mouth to God's ear. <laughs> I uh, I would like to think so. I mean, you know, if not, what are we doing this for, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was it all for? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for joining. Oh, thank you so much. Thank this you. Appreciate it. That's it for us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for putting up with our technological issues. Catch the next episode Wednesday, May 24th for more Market Moves and Yellow Jackets. Folks, it's incredible times in both shows, so hope you're watching. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube where you can watch full episodes of the show and check out the Discord to meet and hang out with tons of amazing fans and listeners. Plus, Rosie and I, we are active on there. Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We need them. You got to give them to us. We got to have them. Here's one from Sinister JHK. Great, fun, engaging podcast. I really love the X-Ray Vision podcast. Thank you. I was a big fan of Jason's from The Ringer. Thank you very much. And also a fan of Rosie's from the old Orbital Comics podcast. Great shop, RIP. Jason and Rosie bring so much enthusiasm to their topics, and it's just what I'm looking for. Thank you so much, Sinister JHK. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Contempcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Ewa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.